This is SciBite, episode 63, for September 18th, 2012. Hi, everyone, and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast. Live every Tuesday evening and fresh Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. What do we have coming up in today's episode? Today, we're going to take a look at keeping pavements cool, snows on Mars, volcanoes, painless shots, tooth protection, updates on the Higgs boson, spacecraft updates, and as always, take a peek back in history and up in the sky this week. Wow, from Martian snow to volcanoes, that sounds like a packed episode. What do you say we jump into the news? Let's go. You know, Heather, I was curious. Uh Uh-huh. What is our first news story this week? There is a new cool pavement technology that could make parking lots cool literally not just like the cool awesome but like the cool temperature oh really so uh, maybe so that way because the, they're like when i think of pavement like in the summertime and it's all especially like the the, the dark top stuff the black top stuff yes. oh man that gets that gets hot yeah i grew up in east texas you could fry literally eggs yeah and i've uh, i have heard that the scientists actually at least some scientists actually think that uh, a part a portion of the earth's warming could actually be coming from all of the freaking cement we have everywhere. Yeah, well, I mean, in a typical day, I mean, in a city, about 35 to 50% of the surface area is pavement. And that's half of, half of that is street, another 45% uh, parking lots. And that's never been like that before, right? I mean, I mean, I mean think about it in the, in the last. We're getting more. Yeah, we're getting more and more so. pavement here. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, it's, so it's, yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah, it's reflecting 30 to 50% of the sun's, or sun's energy back up. And, you know, it's making things a lot warmer, obviously, in the city, and it's hot to, to walk on, and it makes your car hot. And so, I mean, most of these new constructions and roads you see are all the, the dark materials, you know, dark pavement, you know, absorbs almost all the sun's energy, heats up, warms the local air. So there's a couple of scientists in Berkeley who have been studying cool pavement technologies. <laughs> now, they've had something like this for roofs where they make it lighter color roofs yeah. and it keeps the air inside the house and outside the building cooler because sure. it reflects more of the sun's energy. Now, these pavements can either be made by, you know, traditional pavement materials that are just lighter in color, like cement color concrete or cool colored uh, coatings or surface treatments. Hmm. I, I mean, the, the end goal would be something that the pavement would reflect, you know, a little over a third of the, of the reflection. So it See, really isn't some sort of like fancy fiber optics or anything like that. It really is just we made it a different color. Mostly, yeah. I mean, it's not kind of anticlimactic to be honest. Yeah, with you. it is fairly anticlimactic. Now, there's a little bit more to it than just okay. paint. Okay. Okay. So you know, seal coats. You'll see uh, after winter they go through and they. You know, we'll kind of recoat a parking lot, sort of fill in all of the the holes and 
you know, kind of reseal in all the rain and the snow, which kind of cleans it off and, you know. So the idea is maybe what they've gone through and they have these, you know, a exhibit essentially. And it has um, different coatings on different parts of this parking lot. It's six different coatings donated by two manufacturing. And so they're going to do is they're going to monitor the reflecting values and the temperature of these like 20 by 24 square foot pavement sections. They're in different parts of a residential street on the UC Davis campus. So they've got them spread out and they're just kind of going to be out there to the elements. They're going to kind of be able to see how uh, they, you know, how this, they degrade with sun and rain. So as things, you know, go by and how they can get some scientific analysis. Hmm. Uh, Chicago has run something like this. And they've already reported some energy savings because of solar reflective pavements, just in alleys. I mean, if you think about it, the just a couple of degrees across the entire city, you start changing the colors and it starts not being quite as hot. Just those couple degrees can reduce peak power demand, hmm. you know, reduce the energy load from air conditioning. Re- reduce the requirement for air conditioning completely. Yeah. I mean, I can make a huge, just keeping things cooler. You people using yeah. less fuel to run the air conditioners, things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's this group and it's not just white. Actually, it'd be funny that you think, okay, we'll just paint everything white. That's not 100% how it goes. There's actually different colors, like green, blue, yellow, and they all have different reflectance values and not huh. Some of them may look dark, but they're actually reflecting more of the um, infrared spectrum. Ah, I see. Very clever. So I was looking at different, you know, parts of the of the spectrum, saying what consists of the most power, what's producing the most, you know, heat energy. How can we reflect that back? And they're looking at studies. You know, they say you know they may assist policymakers and pavement professionals. Now, I'd rather they're. I'm kind of weird in that I'd rather that just be something of a plus so that, I mean, there is an initial cost premium, but hopefully over the lifespan of the product, you'll have some, with this coating, you'd have durability, less need for, you know, maintenance. So this coating will help prevent like, like a aviator continuity in our chat room is uh, suggesting that uh, tire tracks will be a big issue and dirt on the bottom of cars oil drips and things like that that is certainly that's well that's part of what they're looking at that's why they have this exhibit study just like in the essentially in the wilds of a city to see if it can be done because you know what honestly looking at this picture that they have here uh in the article there are card there are tire tracks on it and they're still using it shoot there's tire tracks on that thing that's what he's checking for right there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of it. Check, you know, how it gets degraded from cars, from all this kind of stuff, so you can see how, it, how realistic it is. And so they can start fiddling with the, you know, the components and how it's put together and how it's put down so they can maybe have this ideal combination of how much it reflects and how much it has durability and how easy it is to put down, kind of bring these all together. Yeah. And one of the, the big places that this will come together is like schoolyards. 
Oh, you know, that actually seems like a genius or any kind of any kind of uh, not even schools, but private company lots where they're a little more kept up and maybe not as much traffic and things like that. You know, uh, think of like a company like Microsoft, right, which has tons and tons and tons of parking space. Yeah. You know, so, you know, all those parking spaces are just in the middle of campus where there's a lot of sidewalks or, you know. I I, mean, I mean, immediately thought of schoolyards because you couldn't really have much concrete where I grew up. Mm. East Texas is very hot in oh, the summer. Oh, okay. See, I've, that's very never hot. a problem I've had up here in Washington. Well, y- yeah, I imagine. Probably <laughs> less than East Texas. So, you know, 100 degrees, you know, in the, you know, in the shade and the sun's beating down, you stay away from what's concrete. Yeah. You stay away what's vaguely dark or metal you're kind of just sitting in the middle of a grass grassy field right. but uh, you know, if they had it, <laughs> yeah but if they had something cooler that you could actually you know get near or you know, you'd be willing to sit down and survive on then that's another issue that maybe they have a different combination that's not so hardy for you know tires over a period of time but can you do it over maybe four schoolyards or something that's smaller or sidewalks or you, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can take this. Yeah. And, uh, I would, I would suspect too, that, uh, you would see more and more, uh, rooftops, you know, you, it's not oh, too yes. uncommon now, but you would, I would think you'd see more and more because they, they're on their website. They specifically call out formulas for rooftops. Yeah. Now, I was thinking about that. And then I was like, okay, how do you think, gray your your roof out because like it's in winter now in colorado you're you're in washington so we're like we need the dark roof now (laughs) yeah yeah. we need to like suck in all the heat possibly get some of the snow off our roof flip the switch that way the roof color changes yeah suck in all the heat possible and then in the summer like bonk i need a white roof (laughs) very cool any other thoughts on that one no i don't think so well uh i'll let you know how it goes heather I'll, i'll install this on my house Okay. And uh, I'll report back. Uh, I'll, All right. I'll test it out. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break here and uh, talk about how you can keep the fine, fine shows at Jupiter Broadcasting coming to you every single week. You know, it, it takes quite a bit of work, energy, and money to make these shows every single week. And uh, you probably noticed we don't have a ton of sponsorships in our shows. And that's okay. That's okay. We all like that. And one of the things I uh, I talk about often, but uh, it's really an important system here, is our affiliate links. And uh, we've had some new listeners who've emailed in with some common questions, so I just want to bang through those really quick. Uh, yes, the donations are awesome, and we have uh, more than just the ones that are on the front page. You can also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash donate. And uh, there's a couple different Amazon and PayPal options there. But I think what people find the most convenient for them is uh, the affiliate system at the bottom of our website. We have links down there for Amazon and Netflix. And uh, Netflix actually emailed us and said, hey, you guys had a bunch of people sign up for Netflix. And then uh, nobody has uh, been signing up recently. So that's because I haven't said said anything for a while. So I'm officially reminding people we do have a Netflix affiliate down there. So if you're thinking about grabbing something for the holidays for somebody, I have made uh, like Netflix was the perfect gift uh, for dad one year. And uh, you can do that online through our affiliate link. We also have them down there for Newegg and Best Buy and ThinkGeek and Audible, which I love. I just got done with a fantastic Audible book and I just got another one. I just got my credits and I love it. Audible has some some big sales going on right now, actually. Uh, And then we also have one for Gamefly and Code School. I love both those sites. Uh, Gamefly is, uh, everybody knows what Gamefly is. It's like Netflix for games and Code School is a 
is a really great way to uh, learn by doing, you know, if you want to learn Ruby or Git, something like that. Uh, we also have the Chrome and Firefox extensions, which will just automatically enable our affiliates whenever you browse one of the sites that participates. However, I thought we'd give you a pick this week. Heather picked this one out. It's, it's just pure genius. Uh, I'll probably mention it again later on in the year as a holiday pick, but... Uh, uh, Heather said, uh, Chris, did you see that uh, Indiana Jones just came out, the whole complete set on Blu-ray? was like, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh, Heather, great pick, great idea. Uh, so uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Indiana Jones on Blu-ray is probably one of the most important things in the world. So I would recommend everybody go get it. Close to. Yeah. And uh, if you really want to show somebody you love them, get them this. Uh, but you probably don't want to get them that and not get yourself a copy. This is going to be the conflict I'll have. So I'll be getting one for myself this year. I'll be getting one for dad this year. And I'll be yeah. getting one for my uncle this year. It's they're gonna. I'm going to sell a few of these. Uh, I love using Amazon. I use Am I'm an Amazon Prime subscriber. If you shop at Amazon a lot, please consider getting our affiliate extension or using the links at the bottom of our site. And maybe you want to grab Indiana Jones. Why not? Indiana Jones on Blu-ray just came out yesterday. No, today. Came out today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want that. Oh, I got to click the buy now thing. I got to do that. <laughs> that. Oh, man. I'll put a link to that in the uh, chat room, too, if people uh, want to grab that, because that looks... I, I got I got to believe that. You know what's awesome, too, is uh, they, uh, they've they added a bunch of stuff to it. I, I was reading yeah. through some of it on the uh, on the before we got started on the pre-show, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it looks really good. So, anyways, we'll have a link to that in the show notes if, uh, if you folks want to grab that. All right, Heather. All right. It's time for the news bite. Oh, creepy uncle! Uh, uh, creepy uncle reminded me of probably what our pick is going to be next week in the chat room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that looks pretty good. All right, Heather, what is our first story in the news bite? Speaking of the weather, we were talking a few minutes ago. There, it's snowing dry ice on Mars. Oh, cool! So, the spacecraft orbiting Mars has actually detected carbon dioxide snow falling on the red planet. So it's like. The only body in the solar system known to show this specific weather phenomenon. Oh, okay. Now, Mars has two poles. You may or may not, you know, be able to picture it in your mind as, as well as I do off the top of my head. But it has two poles. One of them is water ice, similar to what we have. The other one is uh, carbon dioxide or dry ice. So it's got two different poles. So they spotted this, um, the carbon dioxide snow falling over that pole. So it's kind of that area, which helps possibly, you know, explain why it's so persistent. They're not quite sure how that dry ice cap is just sustaining this long. Ah. So, I mean, it's the only place where the frozen carbside exists year-round on the planet's surface. So the question is, is it freezing out of the air at ground level? Because carbon dioxide is a huge chunk of the Martian atmosphere. Okay. Is it you know, coming back from snowfall? Is there, you know, some re-depositing de uh, of the snow? So there's a whole bunch of things that are just kind of going on with this. Hmm. So they were able to, what they, what they did was they, the instrument measures brightness in nine different wavelengths, visible, infrared, so that they can learn different characteristics of the particles and the gases in the atmosphere, like size, concentration. And they were able to kind of make out a cloud one of the clouds was like 300 miles wide. Now they're not. Oh, that's like, a big cloud. They're not like thick, like, you know, our big fluffy clouds. They're very okay, okay. thin. Okay. But it was very large. And they were able to, you know, see that it was made of carbon dioxide ice particles. Huh. And then when they started, you know, as it orbited around the edge of the planet, they were able to look sort of at an angle 
so they, cl they could see between the cloud and the surface of Mars. And they're able to see that there were ice particles extending from the cloud all the way to the surface. So that's how they're able to, you know, to detect. They're like, okay, well, that kind of means snow was falling on Mars. Oh, that is so cool. So it has this, this you know, dry ice cap. Now there's carbon dioxide snow falling there. The Phoenix lander from, um, you know, a year or two ago, it landing on the North Pole. Okay. You know, it actually saw water snow, water-based snow. Mm. So it was able to see that. So we know that there's snow on that side. There's carbon dioxide snow on the, uh, on this side of the planet. So it's... Mars has got a lot going on, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it's cold. I mean, dry house requires like minus 193 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's pretty cold there. But yeah, yeah. it's hosting two different types of, of snowfall in these different areas of Mars. So in a completely unbiased way, it's pretty cool. I agree. I agree. Well, that's uh, oh, that makes me want to uh, go to Mars in the snow. That'd be really yeah. cool. Yeah. All right, what's Might be a little cold. What's our next? Uh, what's our next story? The island that was created three thousand six hundred years ago when a volcano erupted, second largest blast in human history. It's swelling with lava. So this is an eruption that created an island of Santorini. This is the one that they think might have destroyed the Minoan civilization on nearby Crete, which may have started the myth of Atlantis. This <laughs> so it was a very large explosion, quite large. The uh, Santorini locals in this last year began to suspect something last year was happening uh, with the volcano. You know, wine glasses vibrated and clinked in cafes. <laughs> Tourists were smelling strange gases. Something's going on. Yep. So in January of 2011, there were more than a thousand small quakes. Now, most of them you can't, they wouldn't be able to feel. But the systems can still pick them up. Yeah, the systems can still fill it up. Yeah, and satellite radar was actually able to kind of uh -oh. reveal what that was coming from. Oh. It was a rush of, uh, well, quote unquote rush of molten rock swelling in the magma chamber, chamber below the city. Uh -oh. And it's, you know, three, 350 to 700 million cubic feet. Uh oh. You know, like 15 times the volume of the London Olympic Stadium that you may have seen on TV. Or online. Whoa. So it's forced part of the island's surface to actually rise like three to five inches. Like the whole island. Like, like, uh, well, no, that's like the whole island is pushed up. <laughs> that is quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> now it has been coming back down a little bit. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes. This is not like into the world. This is kind of one of those headlines and everyone fears and flees and takes pictures of Santorini right before it blows up. No, this is not quite that. <laughs> so it's, it has been slowing down in the last few months and the volcano itself has been pretty quiet for like 60 years. Nothing really kind of indicates that there's any imminent eruption going on. It's probably going to be quiet for another few years, another decades. They don't really, volcanoes are tough because you don't really know the lifestyle cycle of these things or exactly what's going to happen with them and this they type on a very very different time scale yeah i mean in the last one that this oozed lava was in 1950 and it covered about a few tennis courts 
<laughs> That's it. The chat room says they don't have much love uh, or sympathy for uh, for people who built built their homes on top of a volcano. Well, but like Heather's saying, it's been a very stable volcano for a long time. Yeah, it's it massive explosion. You know, it's one of those that uh, pyroclastic clouds. So it's more ash and hot air goes out, takes everything out, and then it settles down. I mean, th- it should happen like every 20,000 years. They keep saying that we're due here in the Pacific Northwest to have Mount Rainier erupt. And we had yeah. Mount St. Helens erupt uh, 31 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, uh, if there's ever a week where there's not a side bite, I'll well, know. maybe, I'll, yeah. I'll check the science news. If you I'll, hear I'll, Mount, have to, yeah. Boy. I'll have to uh, tweet it. You'll probably, <laughs> you'll probably hear about, you'd probably hear if Mount Rainier erupted, though. I'd, maybe. I'd probably show up on well, yeah, fascinating probably. stuff. So uh, I guess we'll stay tuned just to see what happens, huh? Yeah. So we'll kind of keep an eye on it. I mean, it's a fairly regular volcano. They're able to, I mean, the scientists watch this one as kind of an idea of a safe place to watch volcanoes and what they're doing. So in the end, it's, you know, there's a whole bunch of lava, lava swelling up, but yeah. it's, it's like blowing into an invisible balloon. And you don't know how big the balloon is or how small it is. Right. So. Any breath could make it pop, or you may be 3,000 breaths away. So Maybe, uh, you know, uh, well, hopefully it's more breath than less. Yeah. So we talk about painless shots. Yes, everyone wants shots to be less painless, especially if you have to deal with little kids with it. Because, you know, they're, they're not fond of needles. No. Those people aren't. There is a new laser-based system that blasts microscopic jets of drugs into the skin. Wow. That it could make shots about as painless as being hit with a puff of air. Oh, I like this. So it, uh, huh, wow. What they're able to do is they're able to use a laser. It's like a hypo It's a hypo spray. Kind of. They use a laser wavelength that's um, not absorbed by water so much, and it drives the liquid. It kind of makes a a tiny shock wave that's able to display disperse the energy and put it into a vapor bowl. And then there, you know, there's other wavelengths that can absorb the water and create stable vapor bubbles. Wow. So this now, is hyper- pretty cool. So uh, this is this is uh, so this is interesting. So it's like forcing the fluid through the skin, not mm-hmm. necessarily ripping the skin though. No. No, this is literally it's just, it's Actually, commonly lo- used by dermatologists already. Hmm, okay. Apparently, as a facial aesthetic treatment, but it's of course. <laughs> of course. Lasers yeah, get but, involved with that at first. That just that just figures. Yeah. So it's it's drive the liquid is you know the water is driving the fluid in you know with a laser laser and just being able to generate the right amount of pressure so it is able to pass through the membrane of your skin. So it's just that it's the tensile strength there. So it's it can smoothly penetrate right through that underneath the skin. They're able to kind of aim how far underneath the skin they can go, depending wow. on on the you know the strength of of the laser and how far they're going to puff it in. They've actually been able to test it on guinea pig skin, and they can see you know the jet penetrated up to several min- millimeters below the skin surface. No kidding. With, with no damage to the tissue, and it's you know it creates a tiny narrow you know jet it's so it's little no pain it's injecting into a part of the skin that doesn't have nerve endings so it's this combination of now as of right now they say hypodermic needles are still the first choice 
because of you know precision control, ease of use. But this is another step towards that towards that direction where you have you know something that's essentially boiling the drug and sort of getting it to go into your skin so that you can absorb it. Go science. Yep, and it's I mean it's less than a millionth of a meter, like a micrometer, so it's a little larger than the width of a human hair. So it that's the nozzle that's shooting that's shooting it out. Huh. I'm I can't wait to see this show up in general practice. Yeah. Now that could be a while. Yes. Uh there's gonna be uh they're looking for low cost replacement injectors, you know, because it needs to be able to be replaceable, sort of mass produced. And it's gonna be, you know, several years at least. They've got to adopt it for, you know, mass vaccinations. So there will be a while, especially one of these things where it's essentially testing on humans. Now it is only a device, so it's not quite as much as a drug. And with this, it's, you know, not a lot of, you know, not really any damage. So I would hope that it would kind of be on a little faster pace. So it's a a little less risky because it's not something people, it's not like a medication that's going to be mass distributed or something like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's how it responds to skin. Like Josh, Josh in the chat room said, I'm not a huge fan of, on needles, but I can't see this being in general use within the next decade. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe not in general use, but maybe starting to become in use. It could almost be like one of those things where the doctors have the option and then patients will start selecting doctors who have it because they want a mm-hmm. more general treatment. And then those doctors will start getting more customers and then they'll start to make adoption that way. Yeah. And it'll be obviously it'll start in specific areas where, you know, drugs that can be injected this way more easily. I've, um, my mother has uh, allergy meds, so it's just a tiny little needle, needle pop it in her arm. So that kind of a thing might be a little bit easier than, say, uh, a different shot that needs to go a little bit deeper into the muscle, like a tetanus shot or something like that. Then, so it'll be different, you know, different drugs that can be involved sooner or later. And some things that will, for the near, you know, near to mid future still need needles. Um, you know, it seems faster too. So you, I can see how application in like, uh, like, uh, uh, they're pointing out, uh, Josh, I'll point out maybe for vaccines, you know, I could see in trips yeah. to Africa where you're trying to do mass vaccinations, have something mm-hmm. quicker that, you know, where you don't have the risk of spreading AIDS with needles and things like that. That could be a huge benefit, but also, uh, military use, you know, the military can mm-hmm. distribute and start using something like this much faster and vaccination, uh, and all of those things are a huge part of, of, of the service. And that would be, you know, I'm sure this, I'm sure people in the service would appreciate that a lot. <laughs> More, yeah. Less pain is always a good thing. Well, you know, what you take what you can get and if it's, you know, like you said if it, it they're able to adopt it for mass vaccinations then it, it it is fast. It's like, you know, there is no you know, there's no touching the the person's, you know, blood or anything like that. So it reduces, you know, reverse contamination. So Yeah, I mean that that's huge for some areas of the world. Yeah forward to that. All right, Heather, should we move on to the two-byte news? Two-byte news. Two-byte news on Cybyte 63. On Cybyte 63. Oh, we kind of ran out of song there, didn't we? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> All right, what's our first story in the two-byte news? Tooth protection. Some Japanese scientists have actually created a microscopically thin, I mean, it's like point zero 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 one six inches okay they can actually coat individual teeth to prevent decay you know make them look wider 
So it's it's hard wearing. It's ultra flexible. It's made from uh, hydro hydroxy apatite. I know I butchered that. Sorry, people in that science community. Kaylee, I believe is the word. Oh. Okay, but it's the main mineral used in that's in tooth enamel. So they were able to do is they what they did was it's hard to kind of gather this. So they were able to shoot lasers <laughs> at some of this, you know, vaporize it, put it on like a sugar, you know, surface, a a, you know, a stratus, then melt the sugar away. Then they have this really thin film. Of this stuff. Wow, this is awesome. You sold me with laser. Yeah, lasers. That's great. Boy, two laser stories in a row. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's going to be five or more years before it's actually used in practical dental <laughs> treatments, you know, covering <laughs> exposed dentin, you know, sensitive, you know, layers underneath. Now, the one of the people that was a scientist that was working on this kind of in one of the articles said kind of off the cuff yeah i I totally use it on me way before anybody else (laughs) like kind of indicating that he may have already tried it on his own teeth he's like hey i trust myself yeah well good for him i mean there's there is some uh there's some truth to that because uh sometimes if you just want to find out if it works i mean this is what i always see in the movies although sometimes it also creates superheroes like maybe he has superpower now like he might have like james bond villain teeth for all he knows oh just don't know well, yeah. uh, you know, I have this uh, little uh, flashing light here. See this? Oh, oh yeah? Oh. 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 Sci-Bike Computer is printing out old school style some updates for us. That is right. The Higgs boson. We've talked about it quite a number of times. That, you know, they saw something in the right zone. It was a boson. They haven't okay. labeled it as a Higgs boson yet. Oh, okay. Had all the energies. They weren't able to tell the exact characteristics. So they... They don't know how the spin or the mass. So they're kind of waiting to see how they can get data from that. Now, that was a little over uh, about two months ago. Right. So everyone pretty much said, yes, we believe. But now, like, the next step has come. They're able to publish it in a peer-reviewed journal. So it's kind of the next step of everyone is able to look more closely at what they did. Sort of, it's... It's just one of the benchmarks in science where it's they take another step closer to scientists actually admitting and saying yes. And other scientists have looked at it and said, you know what, we look at we look at what they've done, and we look at the data, mm-hmm. and we 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 agree, right? It's kind of or we disagree, but in this case, it's we agree, right? Isn't yeah. that what I'm getting? Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, before this even was published, everyone was pretty much saying I agree. Yeah, but it's just one of those benchmarks. Scientists are very. We're very leery to say yes, definitively, period. It's more like a, right. yeah, well, every, question mark, dot, dot, Everything indicates that's dot. correct. Uh, all available data that I have suggests that is a likely uh, th- thesis to arrive at, but I cannot confirm that for sure. Yeah, confirm nor deny. Yeah. So this is another step towards being able to more definitively say this is probably something. Wow. Wow, look at them go. They just get that thing going and it's just moving right along. And it's awesome. And thank you for keeping us up to date on that. Yeah, as we go along, uh, I'm always interested in about uh, this specific particle. So Absolutely. You know, while we're talking about updates, oh, look at yeah. this. Uh, that's right. We got a spacecraft update, don't we? Yes, the bittersweet trip of in last trip of the space shuttle whole program, yes. the Endeavor as it crosses the country. Now, as we are 
filming this, it's already been, the schedule's already been changed like two or three times because mm. of weather. Yeah. So as of the filming of this, the plan is for it to launch at sunrise in Florida Wednesday morning. This is why I just follow Heather on Twitter because she just takes care of this little that problem for me. Yep, definitely check. There's um, links to my Twitter in the show notes. There is a hashtag spot the shuttle. Those are, <laughs> nice. it, it, it's updated by NASA so you can actually see. I've got a couple of, uh, I know I've got one link to, so, to be able to show kind of, you know, in my Twitter feed about different websites you can go to. So, I mean, in the end, it's going to launch one day at dawn in Florida. It'll head to, you know, do a couple of passes on its way across the Gulf Coast, land in Houston. It's actually going to stay there overnight. Okay. And then it'll fly. Hang out with some friends, have a few drinks. Yep. Everyone will come and take pictures. I saw somebody on a Twitter going, you know, I'm, I'm. Is it terrible to say that I'm tempted to bring my six-year-old off from a day of school to go see it? I don't think I will. And I was like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And that's Johnny, real life learning right there. You're going to be sick tomorrow. Yeah. I, I'm totally not, you know, saying that you know, but that it's not you like you're taking your kid fly. out of school to go see the space shuttle every day. <laughs> yeah. You're not doing that a lot. I, don't, I would guess no, you're probably not doing that. No, it was pretty much the last time <laughs> that you're, that you're going to, you know, yeah. see it in Houston without Kind of, kind of by definition, the last time. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's okay. Then it'll, you know, it'll stay overnight. It'll launch again at dawn. It'll fly to West Texas, land for a refuel, and then start its way to California. I believe it's going to take another pass at a couple different places, uh, at one of the NASA um, stations over there. And then, of course, land and take its 12-mile trek through the city that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. So... It's kind of ongoing. There have been a couple of storms in the Gulf, which happens fairly often. Mm-hmm. So you have to wait for really clear weather for this big, for the shuttle carrier. It's a big it's, thing. It is very large aircraft. So yeah, yeah. hopefully we're going we're gonna to see this cross and it's kind of bittersweet. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some you streaming. I'll put it up on my Twitter. So if you're not like me and not able to actually be there, you can at least get a consolation prize and stare at your computer and be like, Wave at your computer screen. Mm-hmm. That's so. pretty much what I do all the time now. Well, you know. Yeah. It's, it's all right. It's okay. Okay. Oh. Very, very cool. Well, thank you for keeping us up to date on your Twitter feed. So, go, uh, folks, go find the links to that in the show notes. All right. Now, we have a touchdown, don't we? Yes. Expedition 32. That is the name of the International Space Station crew. They come in three-man crews, kind of rotate in and out. And this one just landed on Monday the 17th, uh, so uh, Kazakhstan, at Kazakhstan time, it was Monday night. So good health, good spirits, two Russian cosmonauts and an American uh, astronaut landed back. They saw, it was kind of funny, they signed their little spacecraft. It's heading to a museum, uh, Russian museum. Aww. So it's, they had a 125-day mission, started in mid-May. Now, it was actually supposed Pulse to start in March, but they had some a pressure test incident, as they say, cracked in one of their capsules. In the Soyuz capsules, there was a bit of a delay and an error there. So they delayed, had a six week delay. Then it, the spacecraft was ready again. So they launched May 14th, and it was 
just like a week before SpaceX's Dragon capsule docked. I was like, wow, it's been that long. And touchdown confirmed. The soft landing engines firing. The touchdown has occurred at 9.53 p.m. Central Time. It looked like a rough landing. I agree with uh, no, now, aviator continuity. I mean, that they hit the ground hard, it looked like. Okay, now, in case you don't know, the dust flies up and everyone cringes and look, that's not them hitting the ground that hard. They actually have okay. some last-second rockets. Um, rockets that blast down at the, yeah. like, Literally the last moment that they can manage it, yeah. which throws a whole bunch of dust in the air. It's kind of to cushion what they can. But, yeah, they are falling from space <laughs> in yeah. Yeah. a capsule That's, landing on yeah. the ground. There is, there is that, which yeah, is just kind of hard to work around in that scenario. Yeah, there, there's only so much you can do there. Yeah, this is the crew, probably talked about it a week or two ago, where it was... You know, some they're changing out a part on the space station and a bolt broke off and was stuck. And so they, they went back in and like Apollo 13 style came up with a fix, you know, of a couple like a toothbrush that they kind of bent the bristles on. And they were able to kind of <clears throat> scoot, uh, scrape the, the bolt out, clean all the shavings out and be able to f- complete the, uh, the replacement <laughs> of a power unit. <laughs> I love, it. I love it. I just love it. That's so great. I mean, I mean, I wish, uh, I wish I could like uh, watch all this stuff live. I wish you just could go to one page and just all this kind of spacey stuff that's going on would just always be streaming. I'd love to see this as it happens. Maybe, oh, yeah. maybe it was streamed. I just didn't see uh, any feeds or any announcements anywhere. Yeah, they a lot of the the big stuff gets fed on NASA's stream, but not everything. Yeah. I mean, they could be just like, a lot of times they also are streaming educational films or past. You know, historical videos. So, a good deal of the time, I'd like to say they actually show all the spacewalks for the um, for the station because it's our only spacewalking place now. <laughs> but so they handed over the control that they've landed to the next crew, Expedition Thirty Three. So they'll be there until November twelfth. They'll actually be by themselves until about mid October, <laughs> when another three astronauts are able to to come up. They'll bring a whole bunch of, you know, supplies and bring the space station crew back up to six members. Hmm. Now, that I look forward to, although it sounds like they're going to have themselves a little alone time. Maybe that's nice. However, in the meantime, what's got me scratching my head, Heather, and maybe you can give me a little, maybe you can set me straight. Because uh, what I'm seeing on the surface of Mars right now appear to be hatchling hatchling eggs or something like that (laughs) of some sort of superior alien race that's probably coming to life on Mars right now as we record this show. Do you think maybe I'm right? You know, scientists are scratching their head too. They are, aren't they? What? What do, you, what do they Literally, think? Literally, the okay. This is from Opportunity Rover. This is our little guy yeah. that keeps on trucking. Landed in two thousand and four, and this is the first time that they've seen anything like this. It's these strange spherical rock formations that now we've had what they call blueberries before, mm-hmm. and that's concentrations of minerals that happen in water when they settle into sedimentary rock at first they kind of looked at it and said oh it must be that and then they looked back and said no no wait it's actually not how can they can they do anything to determine what it is with that with that rover that they have now they're able to take microscope uh, microscopic images they're able to to put up and do certain amount of stuff 
So, I mean, they're able to, some of them, they're able to see that the they've got in, odd concentric rings inside, kind of crunchy outside, soft in the middle. So they're able to use the arm to reach out and take these, these photographs. They might, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head now if they have the, the drill, but there is only so much they can do. They're almost gross in a way. Yeah. So, but there's a whole bunch of different ideas coming out. Um, so none of them particularly are popping out as the the definite. How interesting. Oh, I can't wait to hear all the conspiracy theories. Uh, yes. But yeah. this, this is going to be a fun one. So, land in 2004, it's 2012. This is one of the most extraordinary pictures of the whole mission now. Yeah. This is like... One of the big ones. This is after really all big. This, time. this is really big. And it's, yeah, like you said, after all this time. Yeah. I mean, it's still doing good on uh, on power, too. This is spring equinox coming up for Mars. So they're going to have increased power available. And it's, you know, they're sitting at about the same power that they had last year about this time hmm. or a whole Martian year ago. So, so they've got uh, a lot of power. They're yeah. going to look at this as much as they can, get as much scientists, science out of this as they can. And they've already picked another rock that they're going to head to okay. next. So they're just going to keep on utilizing that thing and figure out what the heck it is. Which yeah, I've got it, all kinds of theories. So I'm, I'm curious to find out. I'm curious yeah, to find we'll out what it is. Have, yeah, we'll have to see if scientists agree or if, uh, as a lot of science goes, they disagree a lot. And you never know. Hmm. So I, I'm looking forward to see if they actually figure out and they can actually come to some sort of a consensus we'll see. and no avatar continuum they're not covering the planet in bubble wrap could be a big alien conspiracy to ram it into earth okay speaking on the behalf of science i'm pretty certain martians are not bubble wrapping mars to ram into earth now uh i have one really important question for you okay uh can i play the curiosity over update uh, jingle Go ahead. And lift off of the Atlas V with Curiosity. Touchdown confirmed. We're safe on Mars. There we go. See, that, that, that jingle just gives me the chance to get my uh, daily exercise when I'm jumping up and As, down. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I can't go too far, too long without you being able to play the, the jingle. All right. So what it's is the our, Mars jingle? I know. And it's just like it's a great opportunity to learn a little bit about the Curiosity rover. So it's a win-win. Yeah. So what's up? Yeah, so they're continuing to test out the scientific instruments on the arm. Uh, I don't remember if I, uh, if I told you about the last week. The Alpha Particle X-ray Spectrometer finished its testing. It's able to analyze mineralogy of samples. They kind of pick up a bit of dirt, dump it into a. This is an instrument inside the the rover itself. They're able to shine X-rays. At it and able to see kind of how the light scatters and able to tell the minerals in that sample from that. Huh. They have a new panorama. Of course, Opera, uh, Curiosity has a lot of pictures, so mm-hmm. you should go over to the show notes and click links because there's all sorts of pretties. It's unbelievable how new, many pictures there are. <laughs> a kajillion. Yeah. As a scientific uh, uh, number. number. Right. Yeah. So there's a new panorama that you can actually zoom. It's like huge and you can zoom in to see individual rocks. They're nearly completed with their arm tests, testing out all the instruments of the arm, how it moves. So once they finish those up, then the rover will be able to start. They're going to go up and examine their first rock. 
What's this now, deal with the penny they have on this thing? Why don't I know about this? This is, they say it is a calibration device. Right, so they're taking a picture of the penny and then calibrating to, but that doesn't seem like, it seems like it could get dusty or, you know, something like that. Well, yeah, you can actually see some of the, the fine dust on there and, and one of the articles explained, see the little particle under Lincoln's ear? That is this big. It's really, really small. But yeah, one of the uh, scientists on the mission actually bought that penny. It has a significance. Yeah. I don't recall, but he bought the penny with his own money and then was like, okay, we need a calibration tool. Let's put this on there. I noticed it was Ding. a 1909 penny. Yes, that's I'm trying to remember. Yeah, that's probably part of the significance there. Very so, cool. So they're... They're going to have to drive a little bit to find their first rock to, you know, to analyze. So they're, they're getting ready for that, probably kind of looking out at their panoramas, trying to decide along the path of where they're heading to, towards the foothills of uh, Mount Sharp, where they can kind of look at something. They're able to look kind of in the distance as well, and able to see kind of some of the terrain that they'll have to go through. And some of it looks like some uh, big dunes. Hmm. So kind of planning ahead going, huh, let's see. Now, if you look in the uh, the video for this week's uh, Curiosity Rover reports, mm-hmm. there's uh, you know, a guy and his family kind of standing around. And what it is is he took, you know, Mars has, you know, 24 hours and 24 minutes. So it's, you know, it's a little bit extra right? Uh, every day. So what his family did was all the teams have to show up for work like 40 minutes later every day. They start rolling time, you know. So suddenly they're days in the middle of the night, and oh, so his no, family wow. joined in with him for a month. Wow! Saying, you know, kids, mom, dad, everybody started waking up and going to bed and at the same was, time. What's neat is it looks like they all had uh, they all had apps to yeah, keep track of the rolling time, so they could they had yep, Mar- they had a Mars clock on their phones. <laughs> yep, there are apps that you can have. It'll tell you what you know what Mars time is and. That's awesome. What Earth time is, various places. So, oh, so Mohawk guy and Mars time guy. Mars time guy. That's nice, right? Everyone's going to have their nickname yeah, so, officially branded by Chris. So, this week's uh, YouTube video, you can find a link to it in the show notes, is hosted by Mars time guy. And uh, you can see <laughs> his adorable family eating at a very conspicuously placed IHOP <laughs> right in the <laughs> middle of the video with the logo uh, right there. But, uh, you know. Maybe IHOP. Well, you know. Maybe IHOP got in on it or something. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know what it is. So that's really cool. Any other things on the uh, Curiosity Rover update? No, just kind of plugging away. We're almost complete with all the, you know, all the test out. So I'm looking forward to that finishing. That'll looks like everything's going to go smoothly, and then we'll start really rolling along. I can't I wait. Kind of can't wait. We're gonna. I'm sure. We'll, I'm sure somehow we'll be talking about it on this show. Yeah, there may be a chance that yeah. I may be talking about Curiosity. Possibly, possibly. All right, then. Well, why don't we recalibrate the Cybite computers and... Whoop, not that one, Heather. Not oh. that one. No, no, not at all. We I need know. to actually look up into the sky this week. Oh, yes. We have this week, uh, Wednesday, uh, just to the right of uh, the moon, you'll be able to see Mars. It's going to be really close. In fact, for cert- around twilight. In fact, certain parts of Central and Southern America will actually be able to see the moon occult or cover Mars right before sunset. So you'll be able to, if you're in those areas, you'll be able to see it um, sort of black out right before, right behind the moon. Oh, okay. So as we move on to Thursday evening, you're going to see the star Antares to the lower left of the moon. This time it is not Mars. Hmm. 
And uh, as we're rolling to Saturday, we're actually getting into the autumn uh, equinox. So autumn will officially begin in northern hemisphere and spring will start in the southern hemisphere. This is when the center of the sun crosses the equator. So straight noon at the equator, it's which side of the, you know, a vertical is it? Is it to the north or is it to the south? And this time it crosses and goes to the south. So that's where we're heading into now. Uh, Venus is going to be visible about two hours before dawn this week. We're going to rise in the east-northeast, start moving high to the east um, about dawn. Mars and Saturn, we'll be hearing about them a lot. They're still going to be low in the southwest to mid-southwest about sunset. And Jupiter, the another awesome planet, is going to be around about 11 p.m., whatever your time is in the U.S. at least. Okay. Going to be rising in the east-northeast with uh, Aldebaran. That's another red star so it's not with mars but it's just a bright red star to the right of it and it's going to be uh you know you'll be able to see that once they're clear of the horizon and by dawn it's actually going to be uh moved to the south okay cool all right well there you go that's all listed out in the show notes too if you see something you can't quite remember what heather said you can just find it there well thank you for doing that heather i had time to uh, brush off all the uh, martian snow off the time machine so let's jump in come on let's go okay close the door here we go i almost forgot all right. Okay. Oh, there we go. It's good to go back in time. This trip takes us to 166 years ago, September 23rd, 1846. Heather, what happened in science this week? Neptune was discovered. So we have a German astronomer, Johann Gell, actually discovered it after searching for it for an hour. <laughs> he, went, he, was, he had a purpose. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get up from this chair until I find a planet. Now, they... He and another um, English astronomer had already calculated uh, rough size and position of this, you know, unknown planet. They kind of knew about where it should be. And he said he knew kind of a degree, within a degree of its position that he'd kind of computed. So they knew pretty much where they wanted to look for. So he was look, just had to look in a specific area. And based on his calculations that luckily uh, worked for him, he didn't have to search that long, actually. Well, look at him go. Did a little, did the homework up front, and yeah, he yeah. was able to uh, zero in on it. That's very awesome. So there you go. Neptune was, was discovered this week in science, 166 years ago. Happy birthday, Neptune. Well, yeah, know, well, whatever. yeah, birthday discovery. Yeah, discovery birth. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Heather, uh, I think that's our our full show. Yeah, I think that might be. All right, everyone. Well, uh, SciBite is live on Tuesdays. And uh, yes. we've even gone to the trouble now of adding the uh, live times to the show notes. A few folks would like to join us. Finally, finally got around to doing that. 7.30 p.m. Pacific, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 a.m. UTC. Well, good for uh, you UTC folks. We also make every episode available on demand over at jupiterbroadcasting.com every Wednesday morning. Heather, thank you for the great show. Thank you. And thank you to the chat room for joining this week. And we hope to see you guys right back here next week. <laughs>